welcome to the Rainsville Educational Podcast. This podcast is used to help train and equip believers to become disciple makers to serve God's kingdom through the local church. Enjoy this next session as we talk about this week's spiritual rep. Welcome back to another week here on the rep. I pray this clip, as always, finds you in a good and happy place. Well, today we continue this series of defining what we've been calling umbrella terms that are used in the Christian community. And today we have a whopper of a term to attempt to unpack. Here's today's question. What is salvation? Now, I'm not even going to entertain the thought of exploring the massive depths of that term in a short bite-sized podcast. However, I do think I can point out at least a couple of definite truths from the scriptures that will hopefully help to correct many common misconceptions about this term salvation. And you're thinking, how misconceptions about salvation? How do, how do people get misconceptions? Well, think about it. How many times do you hear that term used in the Christian community? People use it for all kind of reasons. If you listen to them in the way that they use the term getting saved, it refers to all kind of things. I got saved, they got saved, we all went to Taco Bell and got saved from hell. <laughs> Maybe not that poorly understood, but still, you get what I'm throwing out there. People misuse this term uh, in all different kinds of avenues. If you were to take a survey and ask your friends what it means to be saved, you would get a smorgasbord of ideas. Some that are probably near to the truth and others that are nothing more than just a wild religious idea that's completely inconsistent with the clear teaching of Scripture. And could there be any more dangerous word than that to misconstrue? As I've said in the previous week's episode, words do matter. And I would add this now, especially when words are being used to communicate eternal truth. Words matter. How we use them matter, and how we understand them matters as well. And so let's peer into the window of God's Word for just a moment at a text from Ephesians and get a solid working definition for what this term does mean. Again, it's not an exhaustive definition, but it is a simple yet solid one that focuses on two major aspects. What are we saved from and what are we saved to? In the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we are confronted with a harsh reality about ourselves. Paul says it this way in verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. I don't think the image could be any gloomier. Now, if I had an hour, I would show you expositionally how this passage is flowing out from the glorious truth that is being declared in the opening chapter of this letter. That's why verse 1 of chapter 2 begins with and. 
it's not a disjointed elbow we're working with. It's the same bone growing out of chapter one. However, I don't have an hour. I've got like 10 minutes. So let me attempt to mine out the basic root level truth of those verses by giving you a little bite-sized summary that I think is consistent with what Paul's teaching. We are saved from our sin. How do I reason that? Well, because Paul says that you are dead in sin prior to God's work of salvation. I'm going to expound this more in a few weeks when we discuss the term depravity, but for now I think a simple question is sufficient to make my point. What do dead people do? You can talk to a dead person, and they will never talk back. You can pinch a dead person, and they will not move. You can invite a dead person to all different kinds of vacations, destinations, or events, and they will be a perpetual no-show. Do you know why that is? Because they are dead. And part of the deadness is deafness to any external stimuli. Part of deadness is unresponsiveness. That's a terrifying image when you consider how Paul is using it. He takes that image of physical death and applies it to the spiritual. Here's the result. In which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. What Paul is saying is that sin has caused a type of spiritual deadness within you, a deadness that makes you unresponsive, which is devastating when we grasp that in our deadness we are also following the devil, who of course is heading straight for eternal destruction, yes, but also heading further and further away from the joy source of all creation, God Himself. And because you are pronounced dead spiritually, any hope that you could correct your own path is a futile hope. It's an empty hope, a false gospel. You cannot pull yourself out of the coffin that sin has stuffed you in. You need an internal salvation from an external source. You need someone to come and do what you cannot that is, give you a new life, a new heart, one not ruled by the vices and the devastation of sin, but a heart that desires God. You need to be saved from your sin and be saved to God. Paul, I think, is moving us in that direction when he then says in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, following what we just read, but God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages 
he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God saves us by his grace from our sin to himself. He saved us out of our deadness to an eternal life that is spent with him. And nothing is greater than that. Last night, well, for you listening now, last Wednesday, and speaking about faith from Hebrews 11 to our students, I told the students that grace working through faith not only awakens our minds to the existence of God, but faith also awakens us to the reality that the greatest thing we can ever experience, the greatest adventure we can ever embark on, is life with God. That's why the preacher in Hebrews says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. Listen here. And that He rewards those who seek Him. The reward is clear. It is God Himself that is the reward of heaven. That reward comes to those who seek Him. That is the clear teaching of Hebrews 11.6. But, focusing back to Ephesians 2, because of our sin, we are not able to seek Him. I could also quote Romans 3.11 there. See the messy predicament our sin has put us in. We need saving from our sin. Yet God in His grace reached down and brought us to life out of our deadness by grace through faith in Christ so that we could seek Him, that we could know Him, that we could experience Him. And hear me on this, we could enjoy Him forever. That is to glorify, to show the worth and infinite value of Christ. God saves us from our sin and saves us to Himself. I think that's a solid definition coming right out of Ephesians 2. Well, I hope you are enjoying these reps, and I look forward to unpacking some additional umbrella terms in Christianity in the coming weeks. Make sure to tune in next Monday as we will get we will dive into the teaching of total depravity, which will shed even more light, I think, on our great need for salvation. Until then, have a great week. Blessings.